Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, I know. Ladies and gentlemen, please remain standing for the singing of our national anthem. Brexit means Brexit. My administration has accomplished more than almost any administration in the history of our country. Hello and welcome. My name is Royfield Brown. I'm back home in Birmingham, one of the most tumultuous weeks in post-war British history. We've had the death of Queen Elizabeth II and we've had an unprecedented response politically and also in terms of the symbolism of also what it means to be British. But Queen Elizabeth II wasn't only just the Queen of Britain. She's also the queen of 14 other realms, one of them being Canada, another one being the land of my parents, Jamaica. So what we're going to do today is not just regurgitate how necessarily we felt about the queen dying, but what is the future for the monarchy? What does the death of this 96-year-old instantly recognisable woman mean to Britain, the Commonwealth, and actually to the world. What is the future going to be for the crown? What is the future for the monarchy? And to discuss this, we have Laura Babcock, badass PR media whiz and over there in southern Ontario in Hamilton. And we have a recent graduate of some repute, a Joe Spagnoli, who's a good friend of mine, who normally talks to me about Formula One, but he's somewhat adept when it comes to politics and reading the rooms over things of a societal bent. So we have Laura with us today and Joe. We're also going to play an insert from my good friend Ian Andrews, who's a journalist and media pundit in Jamaica. Unfortunately, Ian couldn't actually make it today. He had to do some work for a client at, at the last minute, but we do have an insert from him. But first, let's set the scene. What next for the British monarchy? What next for King Charles III? joined by CBS News royal contributor Amanda, Amanda Foreman. Amanda, let me start with King Charles III. What lies ahead for him? First of all, we are expecting continuity. This is a, a man in his 70s, but actually we're also going to expect some headwinds. There has been no real questioning of the value of the monarchy during the Queen's reign in respect for her longevity. But these questions are going to come up and he's going to have to answer them. And he's been known as a modernizer. 
during yes. prior to ascending to the, or taking over on the throne. So do you expect that to have a role in his reign? Very much so, and you can see that in the slimmed-down monarchy that he's been talking about. When you say running into headwinds, do you mean that people will then, more people will question whether there's a need for the monarchy? That is right. There, there is a strain of republicanism in Great Britain, and people, people held it back to some extent while the Queen was alive. Yeah, thinking about that, as we look back at the legacy of Queen Elizabeth, how will it be viewed both in the short term and through that lens when so many people do still view the Commonwealth as one of the last vestiges of colonialism? The Commonwealth, one of the last bastions of colonialism, the monarchy, an anachronistic symbol that holds back Britain. These are some of the slings and arrows which have been thrown at the institution of in, in, in the last seven days. But first off, let's completely and utterly set the scene. Laura Babcock over there in southern Ontario, in, in Hamilton. When did you get the news that the Queen had passed and how did you feel? I first saw it early on a news alert that she that the family members were being called to see her. So given that we never really hear anything about the health of the monarch, I felt like it was going to be that day. So I went up and actually woke up my husband who works in news. He wasn't supposed to start his shift yet, but he jumped right up to get ready because, of course, it would be a huge day for the media in Canada. And then it was a couple of hours later when I was driving where I got the Apple car message from him that she had passed was faster than I thought. The window from our first inclinations to her actually having passed was quick. And while I thought I'd be quite stoic because, you know, I'm, I'm not a monarchist per se. My family are empire loyalists. I'm a descendant of empire loyalists. And my late mother was a fan of the royals and would take me to see them when they would come to Canada. I didn't think that I would have an emotional response to it because we knew it was coming. But as the news footage rolled in through the day, she looked so much like my maternal grandmother. And you start to realize that she's been a constant in your life. And I actually found myself weeping <laughs> within a few hours. And uh, much to the derision of my children, who have no connection to the monarchy at all and couldn't understand what was wrong with me. But it's because, you know, I think for all of us, she has always been there. So what that means to you and on what level, it means something. And for me, it, it really brought up memories of my mom and my grandmother and, and maybe even of my ancestors, uh, who were, of course, loyal to the crown. So... Yeah, so it was an emotional day. It took, it took a number of hours to process. I think we're going to have to come back at some point, Laura, and, and explain to the Brits and to the, the other listeners outside of Canada what exactly an empire loyalist actually is, because I think that probably goes to the heart of the reason why Canada, as opposed to Australia, there isn't calls for the institution of the monarchy to be done away with. But let's do that slightly later on in the show. Joe Spagnoli, you're a young thing. You're not old like me. So I'm presuming that if, if you're relatively young, you care not a jot for this old hackneyed institution, let alone the little old lady with, with grey hair who passed away last week. I criticise you for the generalism and assumptions, but to be honest, it's nice to be called young, which a lot of my friends don't do. So thank you, Royfield. I'm remarkably neutral on the whole matter. I don't know whether it's a lack of historical links to the UK or I think a recognition of how in the day-to-day the royal family, as it currently stands, doesn't impact our lives massively. Of course, we know that historically the Queen has been, quote, good value for Britain. She brings the British taxpayer more money than she takes out on average, which is actually quite cynically one of the defences of the Queen for the last 30, 40 years or so. But overall, my position is completely neutral on this. I don't know if we'll discuss this later, but 
I honestly find obsessive royalism and obsessive republicanism, at least in these circumstances, a little bit weird and equally weird on both sides. But watching the news, I, I had to. I don't I don't have a, a massive link to the monarchy, as you as you rightly point out. But with an event this huge and having been in broadcasting myself, I knew what it meant when the BBC started that rolling coverage. I knew some of the not so secret procedures that would be going on behind the scenes. When when the broadcast started, you knew it was going to be the afternoon. And credit the BBC, especially, they did an absolutely fantastic job for the most part with their rolling coverage. But yeah, it's on the in the same week that the UK has changed prime minister, the monarch has also changed. The scale of transition almost overnight is enormous, and yet the theme, as as you've already shown so far, is going to be continuity. Taking this from a historical bent, purely just from the lens of Britain and the empire for slash the commonwealth that the queen inherited back in the early 1950s. One person has bridged Winston Churchill to Liz Truss. And Winston Churchill feels like a figure from history for us because he is. And and to think that in Britain, before we go on to any, any, anywhere else, there is, there is an embodiment of our link from the immediate post-war world to now is wonderful framing, considering that no listener of this podcast will be surprised to hear that I am a thorough Remainer, that you can say that what Britain has tried to do for 70 years is to find its place in the world. And actually, we thought we had, and even now we're still searching for it. So in a way, she brackets this really pivotal part in British history. But ultimately, we're still trying to find our place in the world. Laura, I'm always struck when I go to Canada, when I, when I go and visit my children, that when I, go into, when I go into shops, there are many magazines that have on their front the Canadian royal family. Let's call them that because that's technically actually what, what they are. This institution can't just have a resonance for older Canadians. I always kind of explain to Americans that Canada only exists because loyalists, people who did not want to be part of the American experiment, left and founded uh, Southern Ontario. A hundred thousand Americans left after 1783. That is still palpable. Does that then mean? Right. If there are, you know, where it's on the cover of Maclean's or whatever those Canadian magazines or the Canadian Hello, etc., the royal family, they're always there. That this is a way which helps to define Canada away from America, because you still have this link to this political board, the monarchy. A little. But to be honest with you, I think that the love of the monarchy, the attachment to the monarchy had a lot to do with the person of Queen Elizabeth II. And it's a generational thing. I know that when you visit the your kids, they're near where I live, and there's lots of pubs with British flags, and there's lots of empire loyalist descendants like us in southern Ontario, whose families left at, at great cost from the after the American Revolution during it. And so there, that remains. In fact, sometimes when my mother and I would drive around, we would see little signs on the street that there is an Empire Loyalist Cemetery at the end of the street, and we would go and see it. But that is passing with the passing of the Queen. Not only is there not the affinity for Charles that there was for Queen Elizabeth, 
who had visited Canada a remarkable number of times, even when she was a princess. But there's just not a sense of the value proposition of the monarchy. And I'm sorry for listeners who are still mourning the loss. And I know the funeral hasn't happened yet. But in Canada, right away, myself included, we were part of conversations in the media about how Canada had really waited to have any kind of real criticism or any real public discussions about leaving, with the exception of Quebec, who, of course, Quebec nationalism, they were not a fan of Canada being a, a part of the British monarchy. But other than that, there was really, you know, let's let's not have this conversation while the Queen is still alive. And so it has been the conversation everywhere, really, since she passed, which is when are we going to leave? Not if we're going to leave, but really, when are we going to go? It might take a very long time. It's complicated, but it feels at least to me, a sense of inevitability. It might take generations, but it feels inevitable. Alyssa M, welcome. Like me, and not only are you British, but also you're an ethnic minority. Us ethnics are not supposed to be monarchists. Where do you sit with this question? It's an interesting question. Thank you for having me. I would say that at heart, I'm probably more closer towards being a Republican, although I recognise the importance of having traditions and historical you know, continuity and the structure of a constitutional monarchy, which has existed in the United Kingdom for so many generations, it's part of the furniture now. So it's a question of what is the actual reason if you would like to, you know, remove and have a revolution and change the entire system. I do have certain small C conservative tendencies in that regard about the reasons for maintaining it. But at the same time, I think the passing of the Queen is definitely a major watershed. We're going to see a lot of nations reconsider their relationship towards Britain, the former colonies that are now, you know, part of the Dominion slash part of the Commonwealth in the Caribbean and across across various first nations around the world. There is, although to an extent, there's a symbolic decision by these countries to leave the crown rule. But in theory, I think nowadays, given the way things are structured and and government, it doesn't really make a tangible difference, right? Declaring, if Jamaica declares it's now a republic or these various nations, if they're still part of the Commonwealth, if we still have these quote-unquote neocolonial structures in place regarding economic distribution and relationship towards Britain and capitalism, is the decision to become a republic that much of a major victory or major change? I'll leave that to some of the others to... Well, you know, Alyssa, I'm going to go to a clip uh, Ian Andrews, who's a TV sports journalist in Jamaica, because he touches on some of those themes. Hello, everyone. My name is Ian Andrews. I'm a journalist, news and sports presenter here in Jamaica. And in speaking about the passing of Queen Elizabeth II and its impact here in Jamaica, I must say, first of all, let me offer my condolences on her passing. She's the only monarch I've ever come to know. It has been an interesting time for us here in Jamaica. One of sadness, yes, but also one of indignance on the part of some persons here in Jamaica. Sadness, yes, that people still regarded her as a very nice, pleasant lady. She came to Jamaica on a number of occasions in 1953 when she was just crowned. And she came again in 66. She came again in 1975, in 1994, and in 2002 was the last time she came to Jamaica. Always well-liked, 
and she was always treated with respect. I don't recall any demonstrations or anything like that when she was here. The demonstrations and the protests started to pop up, especially the last time when her grandson, Prince William, or the Prince of Wales, came here. There were pockets of protests by some Rastafarian movements that it was time for Jamaica to become a republic and to denounce the British monarchy. I think those calls have now gotten louder. Having announced the Queen's uh, passing earlier on, the Prime Minister announced that there would be 12 days of mourning by the country. All flags would be flown at half-mast throughout the country. Bells will be tolled at the churches. And all entertainment packages will be put on hold during that period, which, end, which ends on September 19, by the way. 12 days of mourning. So people are saying, listen, we have to get on with our lives. And why are we bothering to mourn for somebody who is not directly impacting our nation? And so you got these calls on the talk shows, radio talk shows, that it's time now for us to revisit severing our ties with the British monarchy. And even more so because Barbados went that route a few months ago. And, you know, there was some form of consternation on the part of a number of Jamaicans because Barbados was mainly known as Little England by many of us back in the day. And to see them now taking this path, it should have been Jamaica, who should have been regarded by many other Caribbean countries as the leaders of the Caribbean. And it's a little bit sad on the part of Jamaicans that it had to take a Barbadian for, to, to ignite the thoughts once more. And even though there was independence in 1962, the leaders of the time, Norman Manley and Alexander Bustamante, went to Britain and received a constitution directly from the country, which really didn't do much for Jamaicans because Jamaicans didn't even own the land. We, we said we didn't like Queen Elizabeth. We, you know, she was a nice lady, even though there were those who said that she did not represent the black race the way she could have. So even though they still had a nice relationship with Queen Elizabeth, let's not bother to start it or continue it with her son, Prince Charles, who himself came here many times as well. Let's just wipe the slates clean and move on. So I get the impression that this is what people are saying in Jamaica. Is it a question of diffidence? They just don't have the confidence to go forward and to do what is necessary. But these points and questions have been raised time from time immemorial, but it has never been actualized. And the question is now, the leaders of this country at this time now have the will to move ahead and say, let's now move and get or act together and renounce the, the British monarchy and become a republic. I'm getting that it is a little bit louder now, but the question is whether or not it will be actualized. I don't, I'm not sure. Because when you ask persons who is the head of state, they will probably still tell you the prime minister, not knowing that the governor general represents the queen and the queen is the head of state. So I don't think there is understanding of the situation enough, but for what it's worth, a number of persons are now talking about it. And I think very soon we'll see something more happening in that department. Utterly fascinating. At least one of the things that Ian touched on, which is, as she said, he said, the queen didn't do much for the black race. 96% of Jamaicans are black. They're fundamentally of African stock. So you have a situation whereby a country like Jamaica, or let's say Papua New Guinea or St. Lucia, have a head of state who is probably never, ever going to look like them. 
And if your head of state is a symbol of the country, that's a pretty hard one to, to, to reconcile on a really gut emotional level. The king or the queen of Jamaica, not only do they not sound Jamaican, they don't look Jamaican or Papua New Guinean or St. Lucian or Barbadian. How important is the visual symbolism of the person who is the head of state? I think it's kind of pretty important. Laura? It's important, and not being of a visual minority, I don't know, you know, how people feel exactly from that perspective. But I can tell you that every show that I've done since her passing, it, the conversation has been around what she represents—not her personally, perhaps, but what the crown represents—and it represents colonization, and it represents treating other nations and other peoples terribly, and in Canada. As you know, we have gone through some awareness and tragedy in the last couple of years, understanding how we've treated Indigenous people and how horrific that is, finding the mass graves of children from residential schools. And there has been, I think, a lot more awareness in the last couple of years around the sins of colonization. And and so we are becoming more and more aware as Canadians about why we're here, who is here, you know, under what circumstances are they here. And there were some pernicious, disgusting narratives in some federal elections recently around, you know, old stock Canadians and versus newcomers and cultural snitch lines and this gross racist fascist narrative and, and we're we're kind of in the throes of a lot of it right now and so i think the whole idea of the monarchy then gets put into that conversation as well so it's not just about whether or not visually the royal family represent the diverse population that is canada but it is what does the monarchy res represent historically? How can we be supportive of things like the Commonwealth Games? It's not just anachronistic as a concept. It's painful to many Canadians in many ways. You know, a friend of mine said that just looking at the crown jewels and the crown is a memory when they look at, when we look at our quarters, our money of jewel that was stolen from her homeland, you know, so, so we're, we're becoming more aware as Canadians, like, oh, why, why would we want to be a part of this brand? Why would we want to be a part of, an, of a family, of a system that has done so much harm to so many people who, consider Canada their home. You know, it's not, uh, to me, it doesn't feel fair. There's, there's, I don't think there's anything that the Royal family offers us as a modern country that we need. I think we can have our own head of state. If we don't want it to be the prime minister that can be Canadian, I don't think it has to be a British Royal. And so I think that's what it really is here. It, Royfield It's more about Canadians wanting to be thoughtful about who we pledge allegiance to and what they represent in the broader in the broader picture globally not just what you know my family might have been through five generations ago as empire loyalists but what does it represent to all of the people who have become part of canada you know it's it's a terrible brand and it doesn't mean that the queen herself didn't carry herself and comport herself with tremendous dignity and i think that she is a leader for the ages but her family's legacy and the legacy of the crown is something that I think Canadians can't can't be okay with for the long run, which is why I say it's inevitable that we will move from being one of the realms at some point. It might take a generation or two, but I can't imagine us continuing as, you know, the subjects of the British crown. Joe, Laura makes a really powerful case for 
the symbol, the symbol of, of monarchy to, to represent the past and some of the worst aspects of Britain's colonial past, where it has literally taken resources, raped, pillaged numerous countries. And, and then there you look at the crown jewels and here is the Kurinur uh, diamond, which is taken from India, or on the scepter, there's another gem, which is taken, taken from South Africa. But can't monarchy be a powerful symbol for reconciliation? The end of the troubles in Northern Ireland. I'm old enough to remember when the troubles were at their height and being a Brummy, being from Birmingham, one of the worst IRA atrocities on the British mainland, if not the actual worst, was the bombing of a pub in Birmingham in about 1970-73. And uh, my parents said, and they, my parents lived five miles away, and they said, you could hear the, the, the explosion. It was that, that loud. Martin McGuinness, who's now p passed away, was the second in command of the IRA. The Queen shook his hand. And that surely that is something that if a politician, a regular politician, was to shake the hand of somebody who is, was an avowed terrorist, the leader of Sinn Féin, that's one thing. But for, in effect, the embodiment of the nation, the head of state to do that is a powerful symbol of reconciliation. So maybe there still is a place for monarchy. What do you reckon, Joe? I mean, I was very compelled listening to Laura's arguments about this. And I, as far from an ethnic minority by any means, would not dare to understand or represent the, the physical and visceral responses of post-colonial nations towards the existence of the whole royal family. What's interesting, I think, is kind of, as you alluded to earlier, with her popularity among some of the Commonwealth nations, is that the Queen has always been, or at least for a very long time, more popular than the royal family as a whole on average. They made a comment about this, actually, far from, far from post-colonial, but on topics of independence, they were talking about Scotland, the fact that she passed away at Balmoral in Scotland. The Queen was more popular there than the royal family. I can't think of a territory within the Commonwealth where that is not the case. Even in England, the seat of the monarchy, that's exactly the same. Looking at countries further afield, with, with Elizabeth now gone, I, it, I can understand, although I'm still somewhat surprised, perhaps through ignorance, of the sudden shift towards Republican sentiments around a lot of the former Commonwealth, the former colonial states, although I can completely understand it. I wouldn't want to dare, you've, you've brought up the troubles, which I'm just too young to remember, I wouldn't dare to compare the visual representations of the monarchy going against populations towards, say, white minority rule in Rhodesia or South Africa. But it's definitely something that has to be taken into account. And it is something that I can empathise with, although I do not directly understand. The monarchy is a case for reconciliation. It's a compelling argument. However, I also suspect in a lot of Republican communities, and I confess, Royfield, I am completely ignorant of the percentages and polling of royalist versus Republican sentiments in countries like Jamaica, the Bahamas, Barbados. I, I do not have an understanding of what the majority would be on that front. However, my understanding of Republican sentiments within a lot of these territories follows the line that any reconciliation of the royal family, any corrections within the royal family, rhetoric will not be enough. It would have to be backed up by action. And if the, if the state of Charles's monarchy is continuity, I... Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot... We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. 
Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I don't see that happening. Mm. One of the tricks or conundrums for the monarchy is always... Yes, to stress continuity, but also still to maintain a level of relevancy that they cannot be in splendid isolation. The, the monarchy needs to reflect the times that they, that they actually live in, because otherwise they'll become remote and then irrelevant. Alyssa, I've been really struck by these queues of people waiting for 14 hours to see the coffin. And whilst, and I, I keep saying this, I'm a sentimental monarchist. The system isn't fundamentally broken. By the system, I mean the political system. That's the way that we do things in Britain. Let's just keep doing it that way. That's where I sit. But people did have a visceral, meaningful relationship with this woman. So hence, they're waiting in queues for 14 hours. They say just under half a million people will have filed past that coffin by the time they close the lines. And the lines are getting longer. And when you see the streamed video of these ordinary people walking and they pay their respects, where they just bow their head, some of them cross themselves in the Catholic manner, some of them hold their hands and they pray, it is quite moving. Isn't that a, a powerful reason for keeping this institution, which reminds us that we all belong to one community and we hold something in common? I, I don't think that's a strong enough reason for saying you want to retain it. Well, I do recognize it's a very powerful cultural you know connection to have the queen as a central figure or have a monarch as a central figure be the one that unites the nation as a figure everyone can rally around in some other countries there might be a religious figure that takes that role it might be certain other kind of historical or cultural figures that take up that role but but you can construct that even without a monarch and and, and if you look at maybe even surveys of you know, cultural cohesion or, or, or general harmony of within a nation. I think Britain is a very fractured country. I mean, despite these long lines you see, there are lots of class divides, religious divides, and different kinds of social and ethnic divides going on within Britain. So I wouldn't use this as a kind of a thing to say everything is hunky-dory and we can all rally around the Queen. These are still a select 
kind of group of people. For my my theory of it is that if you're from a certain generation and you just grew up just after the post-war period, during that period there was a lot of, and you kind of grew up with the Queen, right? You grew up with you you, you saw the coronation in the fifties, you you know during the, the the establishment of a lot of the major British cultural institutions as far as media, whether it's the BBC, whether it's the you know, British film, or etc. It's all linked to monarchy in a way because during those historical periods, a lot of media, a lot of propaganda was centered around maintaining the monarchy. And I think as we get into a modern media era where people are exposed to a variety of different kind of content and media from a variety of sources, people now can find that sense of identity and sense of unity in other figures, whether it's modern music and like, you know, rock stars or, or singers or actresses or actors or sports figures, etc. But if you grew up in a, from a certain era when you know, BBC or whatever, was just a few channels on your television and all you're seeing was a lot of, you know, imperial propaganda and, you know, the Queen the central figure, you are going to be stuck with a lot of that nostalgic, you know, that that sense of nostalgia but, 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 and indoctrinated to an extent. Sh- surely, you know, pop stars, rock stars, rap stars, fashion icons, they're somewhat ephemeral. And, and that's the whole point of having this symbol of continuity and and to the point that in the modern media age the royal family are going to become irrelevant i i put it to you that after the reign of king george the what fourth who was wildly unpopular and then his brother william then came victoria and she remodeled the monarchy as fundamentally a middle-class institution Instead of them being aristocrats as the Hanoverians were, you had photographs of her with her husband and her children in a way that had never happened before. During World War One, when we're, we're, we're at war with Germany, the royal family changed their name and to assert their, their British roots, though there was not one drop of British blood within them. George VI, the present, present, there you go, Queen Elizabeth's father, painted himself out to be a regular middle-class guy. In the 1960s, when we had this whole pop culture revolution and Britain's empire is behind it. The BBC with the Royal Family Commission, a documentary to show them as an ordinary family so that Britons could relate to them. We could go on and on and on. Princess Diana was was fundamentally brought in to modernise the monarchy. She may be modernize it a little bit too much for some of the stuff shirts there this institution always seems to survive some people would say you know they have the indomitable spirit of a rat in a a nuclear holocaust in terms of survival but they do manage to just about to survive whether the monarchy will survive in jamaica i don't think that it will more than let's say 10 years or so but in terms of britain I think they've shown a certain amount of resiliency in a in in the modern media age, and there's just about enough evidence to to, to prove that. You think it's, that's going to be the case for Charles and for William after him? I mean, if you look at the scrutiny each royal faces nowadays in a twenty four seven media environment, tabloid environment, Queen Elizabeth was already established as this major figure, this elderly grandmother of the nation before we had all these modern media innovations and she never 
we never really saw her go through that, you know, young period in the gla- in, in the glaring eye of the media in the way, say, a Meghan Markle is going through or a Kate, Kate Middleton. Is that, you think that's realistic in the era we're in for that to ever be that level of central unity, you know, around a monarch? History tells me, and I've gone through some of the instances there, that the monarchy in Britain is much more aware of public sentiment and actually plays a very clever trick, and I use the word, that word advisably here, of appearing to be distant, but still to have some level of relevancy and it mirrors society. It's exactly what Queen Victoria did when she came onto the throne. She was not popular. By the time she died, wildly popular. Edward VII, her son, Ed- was seen as a dilettante, somebody who was going to, he di- didn't have the seriousness for the role. Within nine years, he dies incredibly, incredibly popular. When people talk about the unpopularity of Prince Charles, it's undoubtedly true he's not his mother. But even he has signaled that I'm going to modernize things. We're going to have a much smaller royal family. A lot of the hangers on will not be on the civil list. If this is a nod to public sentiment, and you don't have to be a monarchist to realize that there are currents within the way that they present themselves, which does fly because Prince Charles is always called a modernizer, but it does fly completely at variance with the pomp and the majesty and the ceremony that we've seen in the last week. And as somebody who's an out and out history ball that's my schnizzle history i look at it and i go this is ridiculous but then part of me goes this is fantastic this is magisterial this is amazing and it's in large part i have the second opinion because we don't have these ceremonies this pomp every day in britain we don't have a fourth of july we don't have a canada day we don't have an independence day in britain so to see the royal family marching in lockstep behind the coffin it's a spectacle and and i think there is a space in our society for spectacle which some people get real emotion from i always say to americans all the time the royal family the monarchy is a bauble a shiny bauble at the top of the tree right it's not that it's not actually important but you can look up and gaze at it if you want you know the the business of the british state goes on we have parliament etc etc but we have this little shiny bauble and and some people kind of quite like looking at it it's no more important than that but but joe just before i come to you laura joe because I'm really struck by the fact that you are the youngest person. If, you, if you're not a young person, you're definitely the youngest person on the, on the stage. When, you, when you've seen the pomp and the ceremony in the last week, how have you felt? Have you felt it's been too much? Or have you felt this is appropriate because this woman has died? Does it make you feel more or less British? Do you know what? It's completely neutral. I, I, I don't have any issues with it. I'm, I, t- I took some issue with some of the rolling coverage on the day of her passing, the speculation as to her health conditions, a lot of it felt quite morbid. 
but that's the necessity of rolling news when you when you quite literally do not have the news of what had already happened at Balmoral for several hours. In terms of you know the pomp and the the celebration slash period of public mourning, this is where I take issue with some of the more ardent Republican sentiment that I've seen. People acting like this just isn't a big deal. This is going to be one of, if not the most significant death financially in world history, or at the very least for several decades. Her face, Queen Elizabeth II's face, is on somewhere in the region of four billion banknotes. They are all going to need to be reprinted. In this, in this country alone, that's somewhere in the region of 200 million pounds, adjusting for inflation. To do across the entire Commonwealth that exists, that, where the currency has her face on it, is well over a billion US dollars. The total cost of her death is estimated to be somewhere in the region of $8 billion. I think a period of such recognition is pretty appropriate considering the objective material circumstances and consequences of her passing. That, that's a voluntary act, right? The reason why she's on all this currency is because people continue to still allow it to be the case. If people decided this is not appropriate, then we wouldn't have to do this going forward. But I do take your point. It could be a hell of a lot cheaper in coming weeks. You make a very good point. <laughs> well, I, I uh, stopped because I haven't seen the Queen's face on anything because she's not on my debit card, right? Like on my, or my Visa card. And we don't use currency like that, at least not in Canada. Uh, so it doesn't even seem that impactful just from that transition that you're talking about, the sheer magnitude of having to turn over the bills and the coins. I'm sure it's going to happen, but who really uses that kind of currency anymore anyway? Uh, we have the crown on our license plates here in Ontario, but who even really notices or thinks about what that's about? I don't. When I look at this question of will the monarchy survive and the seat of, of the monarchy, it should survive. Why not? It's great for tourism. It's the brand of, of the UK and people. I had a friend who flew to London, not obviously knowing the Queen, Queen was going to pass. She arrived the morning that the Queen passed and she had to fly back yesterday. And I said, well, at least you weren't stuck in a 30 hour queue um, to look at a box. And she said, you know what? I would have, even though my husband's family are Scottish or and they weren't going to go, I would have gone as a Canadian out of a sense of nostalgia. So there is a, a big emotional appeal still as we go through this period of mourning that almost seems irrational a little bit. But I think, you know, in England, you can make the value proposition argument, the return on investment of putting up with all the monarchy's shenanigans. You can say, you know what, it's it's worth it. It's great for tourism. It's on brand, et cetera, et cetera. We don't have that in the realms. There, we don't. I don't see the connection to that long term. What I said before is I see the damage of the of the colonialism. I see the damage of not moving forward as a country. And we don't use the word republic here or republican because we associate that with our neighbors to the south and the Trump administration. Um, and we don't want to. You know, we don't talk about it as being part of a constitutional monarchy or a republic. We look at it as is Canada ever going to grow up and be on its own like why do we have a monarch and a royal family um we don't need it so it's more it's also about canada just coming into its own it's about not having any kind of return on the investment of being part of it to many canadians but i think there's something else there too which is and i'm just speaking candidly i'm sorry if this offends anyone but i'm still angry about what happened to diana princess diana uh you know i, I don't like charles as a as a person he might be a, a, a monarch and an heir but i don't personally like him from all the years of all this stuff i'm glad that you mentioned princess diana actually her funeral was watched by 2.4 billion people around the world 
The Queen's funeral is going to be watched by more than that. So estimates are somewhere in the region of 40% of the world's population. Not all of those people are going to be monarchists. I'm not a monarchist, and I'll certainly be watching it. It has to mean something if it becomes, according to every stat I've seen, the most watched television event of all time. Oh, I'm sure it means a lot. And I'm sure a lot of that is going to be just to mark the moment in history, which my friend who was in London this week would have gone and stood in that queue. So she was a part of history. I think it matters a lot. I also think it's kind of a passing of an era and a passing of a generation. Like I would I will watch it. I will watch it because it's interesting and I will watch the coronation of Charles. I'm simply saying that there isn't at least for me and many people I talk to, this desire to say long live the king because of the men and the history and the scandals and what's happening with Andrew. You know, we, we're watching a royal family where there's not a tremendous amount of respect, at least not for Charles from the Canadians of that I talk to, more so for Harry and for his son because they're Diana's children. And it seems as though, I mean, there's just an era of brand damage, you know, and it's horrible is that has not left at least my consciousness. And so I'm simply saying that I expect the royal family should survive in the UK for a very long time. It makes a lot of sense in the realms, at least in Canada. I I just don't see why it makes sense to continue. My name is Keir Patterson. I am a sometime politician and uh, most recently running in our federal elections in May as the Labor candidate for the federal seat of Melbourne. So I just had a few thoughts about the impact of the Queen's death on our politics and and some of the likely implications of that, although I'd say many of those have have yet to be known. Firstly, it should be said that there is a huge amount of affection for Queen Elizabeth in Australia. Right across the political spectrum, many people are highly respectful and grateful for the role that she played and the stability that she provided over her long reign. A lot of people, when they're talking about the death of the Queen, will sort of separate their comments from their own feelings about the monarchy and make it clear that they, you know, they have a great regard for the Queen, despite the fact that they would like Australia to be a republic. And, and, you know, I fall in that category as well. As recently as yesterday, I was talking to someone who remembered seeing the Queen on her first visit to Australia in 1956. And in fact, on that trip, you know, in 1956, 75% of the Australian population is estimated saw the Queen at least once, which gives you an idea of firstly how popular she was and is in Australia, but also that, you know, Australia in 1956 was a very, very different place to now. It was a largely, even most Australians saw themselves as, as British subjects and saw Queen Elizabeth II as her, their Queen. Now it's obviously a very different place. And the Queen Queen's death has exposed fault lines in our politics, in our views of our own history, in really interesting ways. The first of those is, you know, the impact on the Republic movement in Australia. We had a referendum a number of years ago on whether to become a Republic, and that referendum failed in the Prime Ministership of John Howard. Our our newly elected Labor Prime Minister was elected on a platform which included a promise to go to another referendum on the Republic in his term. So it'll be fascinating to see how that 
debate will roll out with King Charles III in the seat, not Queen Elizabeth II. I think it will be a very different debate. Last time it was it failed narrowly. Currently, about 50% of Australians support a republic, so it is a very divisive issue. But we will see uh, a debate around that and, and a debate around, I think, about the role of the monarchy, quite separate to, you know, the the natural affection for the Queen or for the individual. Another way that this has played out is really is Australia again in 2022. We spent the last really particularly 20 years, but really up to 50 years trying to improve and relations with the Indigenous people of this country to reduce discrimination and disadvantage. Many would say unsuccessfully, but certainly on this, in terms of the symbolics, you know, most of the official buildings in Australia now fly the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander flags, which are the two flags of our Indigenous people. Under the official protocol, those flags have to be flown at half-mast uh, during this morning period. And many Aboriginal activists and politicians have been really angry about this. In their view, they are being asked to show deference to someone who at least symbolically represents the institution that was responsible for the attempted genocide of the Indigenous people of Australia. And there is a lot of anger about that, which, again, people are being very polite during this period, and a lot of that has been kept under wraps. But I think that we will have a proper and, and sober debate about that over the, over the coming months, particularly once King Charles the third is in the seat and is more visible as king and there will be a, a more of an examination of his legacy as well you know particularly his involvement and you know written approval of the dismissal in 1975 of Gough Whitlam a democratically elected prime minister of Australia who was dismissed by the Queen Disappointed Representative in Australia, the Governor-General, despite having a majority in the lower house, which is our house of government. And so, you know, we will have an examination of those events and, in fact, Charles's role in that and how he and the comments that he made around that time as part of our really understanding who we are as a modern country. I think it's a really good opportunity for Australia. I think it's a good way to have this as a positive discussion. And, look, I think in many ways this will be quite a freeing thing for Australia after uh, we come to terms with, you know, the natural grief that people feel over losing such a long-standing uh, and much-loved monarch. One, one of the many aspects of, of the monarchy is this idea of, of continuity and that fundamentally the institution rises above any, in, any individual. So you can, you can dislike one person. But fundamentally, you know, things just kind of swim on. But I think we, we can all agree, and you've said this very powerfully at the start, Laura, that the Queen actually transcended the institution. People felt a, a, a sense of diffidence towards her, deference uh, towards her because of her longevity. And also because she... She came from a time when we were when we when we were much more deferential. So she was just. Taken. May I also just just yeah, may I just make one other point just on brand? So you know there was a kind of a well. Let's listen to Charles's King Charles's speech, and yes, he did very well and carried himself with decorum. And you know there's kind of thinking, okay, could he maybe rise to the occasion, not to be as his mother was, but. But something we haven't seen yet from him, you know, will he will he fill the role? Will he change to meet the role? And that fountain pen scene, I don't know if you've all seen it, but it went viral in Canada where he got upset about a fountain pen. Well, but that but the response to that was, oh, well, that didn't last 48 hours, you know, so 
I, I'm just saying that the, the queen was never caught doing that kind of thing of looking entitled. They're looking dismissive or looking petty. So it isn't just about continuity in her. It's about the woman she was. Mm. Now, th th that's a fair point. And there, there, was, there have been two instances where King Charles still feels odd to, to say King Charles, where Charles has had flashes of anger. And both of them were, were pens. It's happened twice, right? Where he dis, where he said, where he tried to shoo shoo away the fountain pens, and the aides should have just picked it up and pulled it out of the way, and then this thing leaked in his fingers. So there's, there, there have been two instances. I suppose what his defenders would say is that number one, he's allowed cameras to in at very the second time it happened was a much more intimate one than the first time which is the accession this is the first time these things have, have been filmed and and actually this is part of him wanting to modernize the fact that he went to northern ireland which i made the, the link before and the fact that he said to the leader of Sinn fein your party is the largest party now that is a nod and a wink to irish reunification he's the king of great britain and northern ireland and he says your party to, to Sinn Féin is the largest. Right, so if you're, A, your mother has died, B, you are ha having cameras follow you remorselessly whilst you're in part grieving and, and in the second part coming to terms with a role which you know you were born to do, which is in itself an, a massive anachronism, you're going to slip up every now and then. Though I take the point that we never saw the Queen do it, but then again, she was from a different time. She didn't have the scrutiny of 24-hour cameras and, and media on her. But we should start to re really wind this down. And I've completely forgotten that we do have an audience here. So I've been so engrossed with, with this conversation. Um, generally, I do these rooms for just about an hour, but it's been an hour and I forgot to call people up. So if you're in the audience and you do have a question or a point that you'd like to make, please raise your hand and, and we'll call you up and you will make the podcast. And whilst I'm saying that, it, remind, it, given me, it reminded me to say, this is a recording of the podcast Mid-Atlantic. Mid-Atlantic has been going for some eight years and ostensibly we look at US and UK politics and sometimes we touch on, on, on Canada as well. But in the last few months, we've kind of really widened our remit and we look at politics from all over the, the globe. But still, with, with the core of looking at Britain, the United States and, and Canada as, as our fundamental core. So if you're in the audience and you like what you're listening to, go to a podcatcher of your choice, download the podcast. There's a lot for you to, to get your teeth into. I'll kind of go for it. Alyssa, we, we haven't re really heard too much from you re recently. Prospects for the new king. What says you, sir? I am quite pessimistic, if I'm being honest, regarding the prospects of of Charles as king, we've gone over the issues already, his history with you know Diana and the past and the age at which he's ascending to the throne, he's not going to be the most charismatic figure, I mean, going forward, if you look at his approval ratings versus the Queen, significantly different, I, I suppose, so I, I think William is probably a better, you know, torchbearer bearer for the for the monarchy and perhaps the, you know, his uh, children after him are probably... I'll probably that'll be interesting to see how they ascend to the throne and how they become the new you know focus of the media in a few a decade or so from now. So I, I'm not very optimistic about Charles being the 
as far as being that charismatic figure, that's going to be one that's going to unite people. But at the same, but as far as his his activities outside of being monarch, I mean, when he was still had a role to be more politically involved to an extent, his causes on climate change and his involvement or in you know the Prince's Trust and trying to solve class problems and reach out on you know trying to uplift ethnic minorities and the working class. I mean, some of that work was very was really good. I think that that he, he probably was playing a better role in that as in that function. But being the monarch and being the central figurehead, I, I'm not very optimistic about Charles going forward. May I just add one thought since we're talking a bit about popular culture and branding, Royfield? One of the things that came up immediately at the Queen's passing was a promotion of the next iteration of the series The Crown, which looks as though it's going to be a lot about Diana and it might not seem like a huge thing, but here in Canada, it's not just that we are, you know, wanting to maybe get our own stride now and maybe feeling disconnected or frustrated with Charles for all the reasons that we've just spoken about. But we're also inundated with American media and the their response to one of the tweets that I saw, you know, there's a crown coming and I think that'll bring up a lot of feelings and expose the royal family probably in a negative way. But then there was also American tweets that were coming in that were saying, imagine being a country where somebody dies who's not even Canadian and you've got to change your money. Like they're kind of saying, how ridiculous do you guys look? And so there's we're, we're kind of wedged right next to this uber republic <laughs> you know, that that doesn't understand a constitutional monarchy and thinks the whole thing is pretty silly. And so we're, we're in that we're, we're just going to be swarmed by the crown. We're going to be swarmed by American republicanism. And it doesn't go well to brand. People might wait for William. They just might uh, out of loyalty to Diana. And just because he seems like a great guy and Kate seems like a great person. But, uh, you know, they might survive that. But it, I don't see it going much further. In India, Marie Jason Cunningham. Hi, I, I, I probably haven't got too much. I just, I kind of wonder, after decades of you know Prince Charles, you know criticisms of kind of you know government, government sort of legislation and 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 you know architecture and and the way we we, we deal with the planet, he can't say anything anymore. He's been sort of neutered, isn't he? Now, I, you know, I can't really see any value in him. I, I I'm kind of really so. I don't know why in my head for years, I just thought that as soon as this happened, he would have just sidestepped. He would have realized a long time ago that his, you know, his kids, if it had been me, I'd much rather my kids won the country. You know, my, my boys are, <laughs> my boys are young, they're fresh. They're they got a lot of energy. If I was his age, I don't think I'd want to take it on, but you know, I, I get it. I don't, I don't think he's going to have any credibility amongst anyone less than you know 40 any anyone younger than 40 i just don't think they give a shit about him i think william would, would be a golden opportunity to, to to engage but yeah i don't know it's uh, i i think i feel like it's really unfortunate timing you know the, at the height of the kind of environmental movement he was all had has always been a really big advocate for it but he can't say anything now that's it he's, he's silenced he's not got an opinion to be fair, he was utterly pilloried in the 70s and the 80s when he first started talking about the environment. Everybody saw him as a kook. Uh, and the other thing which we also need to recognise is that he hasn't really said anything of any importance or controversy, that's the better word, for about 20 years. Ever since he got divorced from Diana, actually he hasn't talked about monstrous 
carbuncles as you referred to. He hasn't talked. He, he hasn't. Yeah, you know, true. So no, you're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. Yeah, I agree. Legacy, 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 Father Charles, isn't it? Absolutely. It, it Absolutely. still represents a pretty major shift from Queen Elizabeth secretly lobbying to hide her climate emissions and make her exempt from climate regulations. If, if J- I'm completely in agreement with Jason, Jason, it's greatly disappointing that for something that is now a matter of critical threat, not just a political position, noticing climate change and recognizing it for the danger that it is. In truth, following on from Queen Elizabeth II, taking up a position of continuity for Charles, that's not continuity. It's a flat out pivot on his activism from beforehand. And I do think if I may jump in, that is the one thing that people in Canada admire. And I mean, listen, people listening may admire a lot more than just that about Charles. But the environmental record matters. In matters here, we've had, as I'm sure all of you have had, wherever you're listening from, severe climate tragedies in the last couple of years. And so we're very, very keen on doing what we can. And he gets credibility from his early awareness of the issue and standing up for it. But I agree wholeheartedly. The fact that he is now muted from his most relatable narrative is going to be painful for him, I'm sure, and also painful for his brand development. If the one thing that can bring in a younger generation is something you can't advocate for anymore, you know, it, it's it's got to be difficult. So I, I do give him credit for that. And I think he had to take the job. He couldn't abdicate, <laughs> you know, he, he couldn't just let it pass by. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. He is a figure of history and he had to go along with it. But, you know, the royal family will have a lot more appeal when the crown is passed on someday to the next generation because just because of the energy and the appeal that they have. Well, it'll have much more appeal if it's to do with energy, if it passes relatively quickly whilst William and Kate are still relatively young. If if William has to wait another 20, 20 years, which is very, very possible, It wouldn't seem so youthful, but I take the point. So there you go. Some very strong opinions from our Canadian correspondent, our Royal Canadian watcher, taking the temperature of Canadian citizens. And she's very clear, Law's very clear that she thinks it's just a matter of time before Canada becomes a republic. I, I included an audio clip from my friend Ian Andrews, who has a similar feeling about Jamaica. And I always think it's kind of quite, quite interesting that a country like Jamaica which has been independent for some 50 years, only now is it really beginning to question the reason why its head of state, A, doesn't live in Jamaica, doesn't even look like a Jamaican, 
though they had great respect for Queen Elizabeth II. Great having Joe on who had a, a very kind of neutral view, but I think understood in terms of the transactional nature that maybe the monarchy for Britain is a, a, a net positive. And then we had Alyssa, who's also a great friend of the podcast, who, who came on and also stuck, let's say, a much more kind of Republican tone. Are we emblematic of people in the Commonwealth? And, and probably not, but we definitely are not emblematic of British sentiment right now. The last opinion polls taken on the monarchy, I think, was something like 75, 76% of Brits want to keep the institution. That is not to say that Republican sentiment won't maybe rise when the hubbub uh, has, has died down. Only time will actually tell. But I think one thing I think we can all say is we've lived through an amazing epoch in, in the last week with the outpouring of genuine affection for this woman, the late Queen. The, the world's media has been turned on Britain. And I think one of the, one of the things which Britain has to question is the reason why. Yes, it's because of the reign of this woman and that she spans so many generations. But also, what do we have left here in Britain? If we have Brexited and we say we are global Britain, is one of the key things that we're going to bring to the world table the fact that we have a monarchy? It's the world's most visible monarchy, the world's most successful monarchy the monarchy which has the most countries of which it technically rules over. We should be a little bit more than this, and this comes from somebody who doesn't want to do away with the institution. But in the 21st century, we need to be able to be distinct internationally away from this institution as well. And it's something which I think all of us in Britain need to take, take stock on. Don't forget, folks, I say this every, every time I do one of these podcasts, left of centre politics is right thinking politics, but we don't demonise our right-leaning brothers and sisters. We try and meet them in the commons, the common space, where we can engage with people who do not agree with us and we can agree to disagree, but also, also to listen and to maybe understand the reasons why they disagree with us. It's incredibly important. Without that, we don't have a working, functioning democracy. So thank you, Laura, Joe, Lisa, for being my point people in this conversation. Thank you to Jason, Mohammed, and India for coming up onto the stage. Tell you what, if you listen to the podcast at home, write us a five-star review on Apple iTunes. If nothing else, it will make you feel nice. It will make me very happy. Take care. I'll be more of a brand. Toodaloo. Bye-bye.